Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast, where as a church, we believe that Jesus should be accessible to anyone. So if you're at home, work, or somewhere in between, you can have access to the weekend worship experience. We'd love for you to stay connected with us by visiting us at journeyorl.com or any social media platform using at journeyorl. Thanks for being with us, and we really hope you enjoy this message. Are you ready to hear a word from God today? Come on, God moved at the 915. When he moves at the 915, when the 915, God doesn't move, I'm like, okay, he's saving it for the 11. When he moves at the 915, I'm like, show up again at the 11, God, because I'm just keeping it real, man. But God was here early this morning, man, and so it's definitely definitely an anointing on the the word today. Well, if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to the book of Numbers, chapter 11, verse 1 through 6, the book of Numbers, y'all. When was the last time you heard a message out of the book of Numbers? Numbers is every Christian's, like, uh, pickup line. Comes from the book of Numbers. Y'all heard that pickup line, right, from the book of Numbers? You know heard it? Do you want to hear it? All right, so this is what you do. It only works in church, by the way. This doesn't work. In church, you, get, you go up to the girl, and you be like, hey. I don't know. Start it somehow, hi, something, I don't know. And then you go, hey. <laughs> I don't know why I go to hey automatically. <laughs> my, my mom taught me better than that. Um, <laughs> excuse me, ma'am. Um, and then you say, then you say this, you say, um, I was studying the book of Numbers today. And I couldn't help but notice, yours ain't in it. you, Sam. I got that one. That's for you. <laughs> Try that out. He didn't know being a Christian came with pickup lines. Now you do. <laughs> All right. So open your Bible to the book of pickup lines. Chapter 11. If you don't have it, it'll be on the screen. We'll try and make it accessible to you. It's actually the vision statement of our church, making Jesus accessible. Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. And when he heard them, his anger was aroused. Then fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed them, consumed some of the outskirts. It didn't consume them. It consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. And when the people cried out to Moses, he prayed to the Lord and the fire died down. So that place was called Tabera. Tabera means burning from Hebrew to English because fire from the Lord had burned among them. Now, please note that the fire burned among them, but not in them or on them. It was on the outskirts. So what was being burned was probably some of their crops. What was being burned was probably some of their cattle. What was being burned was probably some of the groves. And so in other words, God per- that, that was burned, but their homes and their families were safe. So, so God, God burned the material things to preserve the eternal things. Sometimes God will set a fire in your life if that's what it takes to save your life. Sometimes things are burning around us, but here's the confidence we have in God. Because fire in the Bible is usually a symbol of blessing or judgment. But in this case, I think it was both. It was judgment because God wanted to get Israel back on track, but it was also blessing because he, he, he spared their families. He spared their homes. And so sometimes God will put our possessions through a trial to bring our soul. I say it this way. Sometimes God will put your flesh through hell to send your soul to heaven. Verse 4. The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, 
If only we had meat to eat. Come on, they said the heck with being vegan. I don't believe in no vegan. No vegan food up in here. If only we had meat to eat. <laughs> Amen. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks. Leeks is a vegetable. The onions and the garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. Here's the title for today. Forget full. Forget full. Forget full. This week is Thanksgiving Thursday. I'm pumped for it. And uh, honestly, the reason why I picked this passage of scripture to read to you today is because as I was reading it, I just started to get hungry. And I don't know if it's because it was Thanksgiving or because I was thinking about this. I mean, I'm sure the Holy Spirit had a little bit to do with the choosing of the passage. But at the same time, I was like, mm, leeks. I don't even know what that is, but that sounds good. I'm gonna get some. So can we fry leeks? Can we, can, can we boil leeks? I like that. Melons, that's good. Meat, fish, mm, that's yummy. And I gotta be honest, I love Thanksgiving, not just because we get to appreciate all all the people around us, but I love Thanksgiving because Thanksgiving comes with food. Does anybody love food in the house today? Come on, it's okay. Thanksgiving is the only day of the year where God actually gives us permission to be gluttons. It's not a sin. I'm kidding. That's not true. Um, probably shouldn't do that. And uh, But I just eat, man. I love food. And so I don't know if you ate today or not, and I hate to do this to you, but there's some Thanksgiving foods that I just thought about that brought me joy, and I wanted to share them with you. First off, you know, this is a classic. You got to love the roast turkey, okay? And that's the roast turkey. But everybody knows it's not just roast turkey. It's the fried turkey. Come on, somebody. Those two pictures look the same, but they're not, all right? Fried is better. These are for all the Latin people in the house. You got the pernil, okay? That is pork, that is pork shoulder. We, we figured out a way to make it delicious. <laughs> pork shoulder. Um, how many people grew up with the baked mac and cheese? Come on. If you grew up in the South, it wasn't just baked mac and cheese, it was the cheese grits. Come on, somebody. On top of that, you had the green bean casserole. This is the only way I eat green beans. It's the only way you can get me to eat. Green bean, on top of the green bean casserole, you got the sweet potato casserole with the marshmallows on top. If you take it to the next level, you put the pralines or the pecans or pecans, whatever you say, on top of it, a little cinnamon sugar on top of that. I love casserole, all the casseroles. If you can casserole it, I eat it. My favorite dessert come Thanksgiving, pumpkin pie with the whipped cream on the top of it and then the ice cream on the side. I'm just I just can feel God's presence in this place today. But of course, the favorite, the favorite, not the turkey, not just the cow. The favorite part of Thanksgiving is not any of these meals. The favorite meal of Thanksgiving are the leftovers. Come on, somebody. Yes, Lord. If your fridge looks like this the day after Thanksgiving, you are blessed and highly favored. Come on. The goodness of the Lord abounds. His mercy never fails. His favor runs over into the next day. They're new every morning. He is good. He is a bounty of freshness. That's what the, the Bible says. Or a paper towel commercial. I can't remember which one that is. But 
Come on, this is favor right here. And you know my favorite part of leftovers are when you forget you have them. Come on, you know what I'm talking about? Because your mind is trained on a Saturday when you get hungry, you're just prepared for disappointment when you go to the fridge. Because you know on a normal occasion when you go to the fridge, the fridge doesn't have what you're looking for. You know that. And so you go there and you're already disappointed before you even open the fridge because it's been years and years of you opening the fridge and there'd be nothing there to eat. And you just stare for a long time. Like if you stare long enough, like things will, things will pop up or, or like you're praying for creativity. You're like, if I can carry the one here and put the two there, that might be a sandwich, but there's no bread. But the lettuce kind of works as a sandwich, and that's probably healthier than the typical bread. And there's nothing to drink, but there is water. But we don't have sugar, but we have the Kool-Aid. With the Kool-Aid without the sugar, I don't know. Maybe we can throw some yams. I don't know what you do. but Or, or you close it, and then two minutes later, you open it up again, hoping that magic elves have somehow restocked the fridge. But it's never the case. You've just been trained to be disappointed. But the best part about it is when you get there and you open up and you see that and you're like, thank you, Jesus. Picked me up. You know, you just worshiping the Lord. It's great. And, and, and I, I'm sharing this story because that moment, that moment of sadness I had for a moment, right before I opened that, that moment of sadness that I experienced, I experienced it not because I didn't have what I wanted. I experienced it because I forgot what I had. I like to take Thanksgiving every time that I'm preaching around this time to preach on gratitude and gratefulness. And the reason why I love to preach on gratitude and gratefulness is because I believe that gratitude and gratefulness is it's just one of the most powerful things that you can ever do in your life. Here's the power of gratitude. Power of gratitude is when nothing changes in your life because of gratitude, everything changes. With gratitude, when your situation doesn't shift, but your joy shifts. With gratitude, when your finances don't shift, but your peace shifts. With gratitude, it's, it's not because the things around you are different, but with the power of gratitude, even though nothing's changing, everything changes. You change because your perspective changes, your attitude changes, your joy returns to itself. Gratitude is powerful. And one of the reasons why gratitude is powerful is because gratitude is an antidote. An antidote to a poison you didn't even know you had. A poison that was introduced from the beginning of time. Gratitude is an antidote to a poison called wanting. I don't know if you knew this, but human beings, we didn't always want. The desire of want as we know it is a result of the poison. Uh, when Adam and Eve were, were first created, I was gonna say invented, I guess. When Adam and Eve were first invented, were first created, you know there was no wanting. They had everything that they needed. All the fruit was there. All the vegetables were there. They didn't even need to wear clothes. They didn't care about the newest fashion trends. They just walked around buck naked. They didn't care because they were clothed by the warmth and the glory of God. Everything that they needed, they already had until they met a snake with a silver tongue who convinced people who had everything that they needed something else. And he tells them, he goes, here's this fruit. And here's the crazy part. He tells them this fruit, it's forbidden fruit, it, it can make you like God. You know what the crazy part is? They were already made in God's image. Here's what the devil does. He tries to convince people who don't need anything extra because they already have everything they need, that they need what they already have. That's the power of marketing, by the way. It's to convince you that you need something that you didn't know you needed until that marketer told you that you needed it. Come on, I'm talking about like the banana peeler 4X1000. You know what I'm talking about. 
You're, 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 you're on Facebook, just checking up on your friends. All of a sudden, an ad pops out. Banana peeler, 4X thousand. You hit the play video. It starts playing automatically. You don't even have to hit play. It starts playing automatically. And this person is saying, if you put the banana peeler in the banana peeler, 4X thousand, it's going to peel. This, and you're going to save 30 seconds. And with that 30 seconds that you save, you can reinvest that 30 seconds into your marriage. You can, you can reinvest that 30 seconds in your kid. You can go to college with the time you save on the banana peel. And you're like, oh my God, I need the banana peel of 4X thousand. I didn't know I needed it. Until, can I just save you time and money this week with all the deals? Can I save you some? You don't need it. <laughs> you don't need it. Here's what the devil does though. The devil creates a false need and it's called want. Want is when you think you need something that you don't need. I'm trying to teach my kids that right now. Because they're like, I need that video game. I'm like, you need to clean your room. That's what you need to do. <laughs> you want that video game. And listen, it's not so much that wanting is bad. It's what happens when our wants become unfulfilled for too long. When we have unfulfilled wants for too long, they create voids. And when we get voids that stay unfulfilled for too long, voids get us desperate. And all of a sudden, we start doing and saying things that we wouldn't have done or said if we were full. It's like that Snickers commercial, you know what I'm talking about, where, where, uh, where the person is like doing something crazy and they're like, you need to eat, Joe. And Joe's like, why? And the friend is like, because you're not yourself when you're hungry. We actually have a word for that in society today. We call it hangry. This is when you're, when you're hungry and you're mad that you're hungry. You're hangry and you do some desperate, stupid stuff. You know, you don't just get hangry in your stomach. You know, you can get hangry in relationships. Real quiet. Wow. <laughs> Wow. You can get hangry in relationships and all of, a start, all of a sudden start dating people you would never date, but because you've been single for so long, you're hungry. And so you say yes to something you would never say before. You lower your bar because you got, you got hangry. You know, you can get hangry in your finances. You got a friend that says, hey, I got this get rich quick deal. If you give me a thousand, I can turn it into 10,000. It's a llama farm. It'll bless your life. It'll, it's gonna, llamas are the next big thing. Gone with the horses, in with the llamas. And if you just invest, you're going to see a thousand percent return on your investment. And because you've been broke for so long, you'll take a thousand dollars that you don't have and you'll go ahead and invest it. And you'll never see that money back again. You made a poor choice, but why'd you make it? Because you were hangry. You know, you can get hangry in your health and in your appearance. And instead of trying to change the way you look through diet and exercise, you could spend money that you don't have on surgeries and suctions because you wouldn't put in the time. You didn't want to put in the time. And so you just got hangry and made a decision that's dangerous. You know, you can get hangry in your calling. God's got a ministry over your life. He's got a calling, but you don't want to wait. You've been waiting for a long time. And so you step out of his will at the wrong time. It's the right thing, but the wrong time. You jumped the gun on your calling because you got desperate, because you got hangry. You know, you can get hangry in your soul. And when that happens, we make bad choices, all because of this want that doesn't even really exist. And, and when I thought that, when I, when I heard that and I realized that and I studied that in the scriptures, it really put me in a predicament because as a pastor, I want you to live your best life. I really do. I want you to live your most fulfilled life. And so at first I thought, man, how can I give them everything that they want? But really quickly, I realized that it's impossible. I can't give you everything that you want, number one, because I'm broke. I wish Journey Church could do the Oprah show thing, you know? Check under your car. If there's a car, if there's, a, if there's a key underneath your car, you're leaving here with a brand new Pontiac G. You get a car, you get a car, you get a car. I wish I could do that, but I can't, A, because I don't got the money, but I wouldn't want to do that anyway because B, of how wanting works. The moment you got that car, it wouldn't be enough for you, and you'd want something else. And that's when the leftovers hit me. And I thought about it. And I meditated and I go, you know what? 
what if we can fulfill the void? What if we can do away with wanting? Listen, this is my grand objective today. I know it's big, to eliminate want in your life. Not by giving you what you want, but by reminding you what you already have. I think it's possible. Psalms 23, for the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. God wants us to live in a condition of life where we don't want. Where we wake up every morning realizing we already have everything that we need. See, I have a theory. I believe in humanity. I have no evidence to support my belief in humanity, but I believe in humanity. And I believe that the reason we struggle with gratitude and gratefulness and the reason why we want so much isn't because we're not grateful, but it's because we're forgetful. Or rather, we forget that we're already full. We forget that we're full. And it's not even really your fault. I get it. It's the pressures and problems of life that cause us to complain about everything that's going on because it's hard. That was what happened in Numbers 11. In Numbers 11, chapter 1, it says this. Now the people complain about their hardships. Hardships. It's hard, man. It's difficult. They complain about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. And when he heard them, his anger was aroused. Now, if you're new to Christianity or you're new to church, you might walk away with the wrong impression. And the wrong impression is this, that God does not like it when we complain. But there is a ton of biblical evidence that goes contrary. There's a whole book in your Bible called Lamentations. Guess what it is? One big book of complaints. God, where were you? God, why? God doesn't mind if you complain. I've said this before. He just wants you to complain to him. Even if you're complaining about him, he says, that's cool, but complain about me to me. I suck, tell me. I'll include me in it. If he doesn't, so I can't go into all the biblical evidence for it, but God doesn't mind when you complain. But if God doesn't mind when you complain, then why is he angry that they were complaining? Not because they were complaining in chapter 11, but because their complaints in chapter 11 are pretending like the whole book of Exodus didn't happen. If you're new to church, the book of Exodus is the story of how God took all of these people who are complaining out of slavery and gave them a new life. And so here's what God's problem is. Not that they're complaining, but they're not complaining. They're not putting their complaints in, in the proper context. Can I help you? Put your complaints in the proper context. Like, they were upset because their feet were hurt. And it was hot. It was hot and my feet hurt. So essentially, it's just a trip to Disney, okay? It's hot. And my feet hurt. So they're complaining that, and I get it, to have your feet hurt and it to be hot, that's one thing. But can we put your hurt feet and your hot body in the context of the fact that you were slaves for 450 years and God set you free? Can we put your hot feet, your, your hurt feet, and, and hot body in the context of the fact that God sent 10 supernatural plagues to Egypt, that he sent fire from heaven, that he turned the, the, the Nile in blood, that frogs, that locusts came? Can we put your, your complaints in the context that he defied the laws of physics when he made the Red Sea stand up at attention like a commander gave it an order? Can we put your complaints in the context of the fact that God's been good to you? Like, I know today is bad, but if you look at all the moments that lead up to today, can we put it in context? Like, he's been good to you. He's blessed you. He's provided for you. If all you do is look at today, well, then it's hard. But if you put today in context, you start to understand, you know what, as bad as it is, he's been good to me. Come on, has God been good to you? He's been good to you. 
It's not fair to take today and put it, and by the way, I don't just mean the context of what has happened to you, but how about, what about the context of what's going to happen to you? Because listen, behind you, you got God's goodness and God's faithfulness, but in front of you, you've got heaven that's waiting for you too. So when you look at God's promises and heaven, and when you look at God's faithfulness and how he saved you, and how all those times you should have been done, but he rescued you, today looks just like a moment. It's just a momentary blip on the screen. It's a momentary trouble. It doesn't even compare to his goodness. Right there, you could be set free. If you just put your complaints in context, you're like, well, you know, in the big picture of things, God's been actually pretty good to me. And if you don't do that, you begin to get hungry and you begin to say and do dumb stuff. Just like they did in Numbers. Here's what they said in, in verse 6. Look how, how dumb this is. Verse 6. 11, 6. But now... We have lost our appetite. <laughs> so let me get this straight. You're mad because you're full. Did you catch it? God, you've been sending all this manna, and now we don't even want to eat. <laughs> We're full. You know how you get full up on bread at the restaurants? This is exactly the same thing. <laughs> so, so you're mad because you're full? It sounds silly. How can you be mad? They lost context. How can you be mad when you're full? I don't know. How can you complain when you're full? I don't know. How can you complain? You went to bed full last night. You tell me. How can you complain? when you walked into this building under the power of your own two legs? How can you complain when you had a roof over your head? It's my, not the biggest roof, but it's still there. How can you complain when most of us, we drove to church today? The car's not sexy, but it works. How can you complain where if you make $30,000 a year, just $30,000 a year, you know that you are in the top 1% of wealth in the world? When you make $30,000 a year, if you're a home in the world because of the level of poverty that's over, we're full, but we can complain. How can you complain when you woke up this morning with basic human rights and 50% of the world doesn't have those basic human rights? the right to not be raped, the, the right to live. 50% of the world woke up to today without that right, and you did because you live in this country. Guys, I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm trying to remind you of everything that you already have in this life. Sometimes gratitude sometimes, is not about getting more. It's just understanding what God's already given you. You've got it. Don't, 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 don't forget the goodness. Don't forget that you're already full. And I think there's two things that happen in our life that cause us to become forgetful. The first is in Numbers chapter 11, verse 5. It says this, we remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also, the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlics. We remember the fish we ate back in Egypt. This is when you become forgetful. Are you ready? When your yesterdays are your best days. When your yesterdays are your best days. This is crazy to me. 
They, they're starting to complain. They're getting mad. They're getting upset. And all of a sudden, they start to talk about the good old days. The good old days. The good old days? I'm sorry. Where, where were you delivered from again? Where did they come from? Huh? The country? It's in the verse? It's not a trick question? Yeah. You wouldn't think so, though. You would think with the way they were talking, they got delivered from, like, Paris, France, Ibiza, Kokomo, Cozumel, any other beautiful place you could think of. They didn't. They got delivered from Egypt, where you were slaves. How can you look back at that moment, yeah, you know why the food didn't come at a cost? Because there were rations. In other words, they gave it to you at no cost so that you wouldn't collapse while you were building their pyramids, bro. It was free because you were slaves. But they didn't remember. Isn't it crazy how we can look back and only remember the things we want to remember about the last season of our life? It's crazy. They remembered the fish, but they didn't remember when their kids were fed to the fish. Back when they tried to kill Moses and that whole generation, they threw them in the Nile River. They literally fed them the fish. So they remember the fish, but they don't remember feeding their kids to the fish. They remember breaking the bread with their hands, but they don't remember how the bricks broke their back while they were building their monuments. They remember the leaks, but they don't remember the lashes. This is the first biblical example of selective memory. Selective memory. And we all have it. We all look back at a season and we pull out the things that we, let me tell you, just beware nostalgia. Beware nostalgia, y'all. I talk to people all the time when life gets hard and they're like, man, I just wish, man. I just wish I was a kid again. I just wish I'd be a kid. There's like no worries in the world. All you had to do was go to recess and come home and the food was made for you. You have to pay for it. I wish I was a kid again. I wish, how I wish that your fifth grade was recorded on video somewhere. <laughs> just all of it. Because it is not as good as you remember. Do you remember? Listen, you might remember the good times, but do you remember the awkward times sitting at the lunch table, not a friend of the world, eating your boogers and Elmer's glue because you thought it was cool, you weirdo, and then the girl asked you, asked the girl to go to the dance, and she said no, and then you went on the, on the, on the dodgeball court, and you got picked last because you were not big, strong, or tall, and so you just got picked last every time. Do you remember fifth grade? You didn't have no fashion sense. You didn't know how to dress. Your pants were like all the way up here or all the way down here, and you didn't know. Do you remember how bad it really, really was? I'm so glad you don't, I wish you had it. I'm glad we got 80s movies on video. Because if not, my kids would grow up thinking, by the way I talked about them, that they were the greatest movies in all of American cinematic history, which is not the case. I remember talking to my wife about that. We were watching uh, Netflix old movies, and, uh, and there was one that popped up, and I was like, oh my gosh, babe, have you ever seen, I don't know if you've ever seen this movie or not. It came out in the 80s, it's called Highlander. And it's really, I told her like it was, the, I was like, babe, this movie changed my life. I was like, this is the greatest movie of all time. If you don't know this movie, don't watch it. It's rated R and it's got some violent stuff in it. But <laughs> essentially, it's these two Scottish immortals and the only way they can kill them is by like chopping off their head with a sword. I told you it was violent. And all I remember was the action scenes. And so I told my wife and we watched the trailer and she's like, this movie looks whack. And I'm like, no, it's the best movie ever. And so she's like, all right, I'll watch it. And we put it on and the action scenes were great. Let me tell you but everything else in that movie was really not good. 
story didn't make sense. It wasn't funny. It was all over the place. And I'm just all embarrassed because she trusted me on this. You ever gone out with somebody to watch a movie and they trust you on your movie choice and midway through the movie, you know it's not good, but you just don't make eye contact. Just kind of lay down. This person's never going to trust me again with another movie. So I stop it now and cut our losses or do we go to the end and hope that it gets better? We waited till the end. It did not get better. It was such a bad movie. It, was not good. it wasn't as good as I thought it was. Can I tell you something about the good old days? They're not as good as you remember. They're not as good as you remember. I remember when I was a kid and my parents told me to Disney World, when I was a baby, baby, is my parents said when a kid, well, not a baby, baby, old enough on vacation, and my dad and I got on Space Mountain. It was awesome. For years, all I remembered was Space Mountain. And then years later, when we moved to Florida and I was 16 years old, I was like, my dad was like, do you want to go to Disney? I was like, yeah, let's go. Let's get on Space Mountain. We got to Space Mountain. You know what I found at Space Mountain? A two-hour wait. <laughs> Where was this two-hour wait in my memory? It had completely gone. It was all I remembered was the three-minute ride. I remembered the three-minute ride, but not the two-hour wait. Ain't that something? But that's just like us. We'll remember the ride, but forget the cost. That's why, don't get offended when I say this, I'm not trying to call him bail, I'm just trying to help you. That's why the other day you were looking up your first boyfriend or girlfriend on Facebook and Instagram to see where they were. Because you remember the ride, but you forget the costs. You go, oh man, that was a great relationship. I, mean, I remember he would give me all his time because he was in seventh grade. <laughs> he didn't have a job. You were his life. What were you expecting? Homeboy didn't have a job. But she was just so funny. And she, yeah, but there's a reason why it didn't work out. Don't remember the kiss, but forget the crazy. It's all a part of it right there. This is what happens a lot of times when we become Christians. We look back at our old life if we're not careful, especially if we're new converts. We look back at our old life and we go, man, it was so much funner back then when I was a sinner. Oh, I want to be a sinner again. You see people on Facebook and you're like, why can't I be a sinner? And you know why it's so frustrating? Because you're still sinning. <laughs> Except now, it's not fun. Now, now you feel guilty when it happens. They're like, man, at least back then I could do it, just be cool with it. Now I'm all jacked up every time I do something I'm not supposed to do. That's cool. Yeah, you remember the fun, but you don't remember the facts. You remember the excitement, but you don't remember the emptiness. Oh, yeah, the club. Still love the club. Ooh, yeah. But do you remember being face first in the toilet, vomiting? Do you remember that? Do you remember the hangover the next morning? Do you remember waking up in the bed with a stranger whose first name you knew, but last name you didn't, and you're pretty sure the first name was made up? Ain't no bunny. Ain't no real bunny. This ain't no, it's not a real person. Your name can't be bunny. I don't know you. <laughs> right? We remember the excitement, but we forget the emptiness. We forget what it was like to wake up without purpose. We forget what it was like to go through life and not have a meaning or a reason. Don't forget, don't, for, don't remember the good stuff and forget the bad stuff. Forget the pain. Remember the pain. Remember the bad stuff. Why would I do that? I'm trying to forget that. Because when you remember the pain of yesterday, yesterday doesn't look so sexy anymore. And when you remember the struggle of yesterday, you can then understand that the struggle you're going through today, it's not just the struggle, it's just your latest struggle. And if you got through the one yesterday, you're going to get through the one today, and you're going to get through the one tomorrow. So I'm just saying, if we're going to remember yesterday, can we remember it all? Can we remember it all? Can we remember the headaches? Can we remember the pain? Can we remember the depression? Let's remember it all so we can put today's struggle in context. Don't retreat to reminiscing when today gets hard. 
If you want something to run to, let me show you your best day. Pastor, when are my best days? Are my best days behind me or are my best days in front of me? Neither. Psalms chapter 118, verse 24. Here's your best day. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. You know what your best day is? Your best day is today. Right here, right now. Ain't going to get any gooder than today. Ain't going to get any better than today. Ain't going to get more holy. There aren't going to be any more opportunities than today. Today is the best day. It's your best day. Run to today. Some say, well, how can today be my best day? I'm in chemo today. How can that be? You know, even your worst days can end up being your best days. My worst day ever was the day I lost my son. A lot of people know that's part of my story when I lost my baby. Worst day. Held him in my arms, suffocated my arms, passed away in my arms. Worst day ever. But you know that my worst day was also one of my best days? Because I wasn't alone in that hospital room. My father was there. My mother was there. My sister was there. My brother-in-law was there. My sister-in-law was there. My father-in-law was there. My mother-in-law was there. Melanie was there. Diane was there. Charlie was there. It was one of my worst days because I lost somebody I love, but it was one of my best days because I was reminded of how many people love me. Your worst day, even your worst day, can become your best day with the right perspective. With the, and then it shifts. My baby didn't come back from the dead. He's still in heaven chilling. Don't come back. Stay. This is a mess down here. Stay up there. But it's the best day. Today is the best day. And it's not just when your yesterdays become your best days. Here's the second thing that happens. We become forgetful. Numbers chapter 11, verse 6. But now we have lost our appetite. Look what he said. We never see anything but this manna. Excuse me? We never see anything but this manna? Do you know what manna is? Neither do I. (laughs) Nobody knows what it is. You know what manna literally translates to in the Hebrew? What is it? Manna means, what is it? Because nobody knew what it was. The closest we can get is that it was bread from heaven. (laughs) But this manna. Oh, you mean the bread from frickin' heaven? We are a church that says freaking. <laughs> We're just trying to give lost people a bridge. You know what I'm saying? Like, they need time to change. So <laughs> we give them the tools. <laughs> Guys, this was bread from heaven. And they go, oh, but, but man. I'm sorry. Is that not cool enough for you? Is that, you know why they were upset? Here, are you ready? Here's, here's the thing. We've become forgetful when the miracle becomes mundane. When the beautiful supernatural things, the manna didn't become less special because it wasn't special. The manna didn't become less special because it wasn't a miracle. The manna didn't become less special because it wasn't awesome. You know why the manna became less special? Hear me, because they saw it every day. My second point to this sermon was was when the manna becomes meh. (laughs) 
Because when they first saw it, they said, wow, what is it? And now all of a sudden, a year later, they're saying, meh. Not because it changed, but because they saw it every day. It was a miracle, but they couldn't appreciate it because they saw it every day. Here's my question to you. What are the things that you see every day that started off wow, but because you see them every day, they've become meh? You used to appreciate them. You used to think it was awesome. You used to think it was amazing. It used to make you go, wow, this is crazy. And now, a year later, you go, meh. It was cool then, but man, but it's still cool. It's still a miracle. And so I wrote some things down here, and I'm going to speak to, if you're not married, if you don't have kids, I, I'll speak to you in a, in a moment, but I want to speak to parents really quickly. Parents, do you remember the first time you saw your child? Do you remember the wow? When they came out, and you, I mean, after the drugs, wait, wait, wait phased out and then you and you were like oh my gosh you look just like me but they really didn't but you know just like me so beautiful you couldn't wait to take them home now you can't wait to drop them off at their grandma's house it used to be wow and now it's meh meh but lose a child and see how you look at yours once again when I was in the hospital room, my sister-in-law came up to me. Her name's Lisa. She's probably in her mid-40s by now. Been married over 20 years. Has not been able to have a kid in over 20 years. She didn't say this because she didn't want me to feel bad, but she put her arm around me while I was crying, and she looked at me, and I looked at her, and she didn't have to say it, but I could read it in her eyes. What I would give to lose a child. At least you had one for seven hours. What I would give to have a child for seven What I would do. Wow. Don't let your child become mad. I know they failed their chemistry exam, but can we look at them like we used to look at them? Wow. I'll talk to single people in a, in a second, but married people, if you're divorced or remarried, I'll talk to you in a moment, but married people, remember when we used to look at our spouse and go, wow, wow, wow. Remember when she came down the aisle? It was like, wow. Then the honeymoon night came, and we were like, wow. Wow, 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 wow. What happened? How did it go from wow to man? You know what I think it is? You know what I think made them men? They were there all the time. That's one of the things about marriage nobody tells you. They're always there. <laughs> you wake up in the morning and it's like, oh, there you are. <laughs> you, go, you, go, you go to bed, you're like, wait. Still there. <laughs> Come to church, you unlock your door, you sit in and then, hey! Still, still there. And because they're always there, it's meh. But I think the thing that makes it meh is the thing that makes it wow. You know what makes it wow? They're still there. They're still there. And they had chances. The last time they were driving home from work and it said 417 South Miami, that was their chance. That was their chance to get off the exit. That was their chance to buy the plane ticket. But guess what they do every day work is done. They come home, whether they're happy or whether they're sad. They come home and they're there and they're there. Wow. Wow. Matter of fact, and I hate to make all the single people feel bad. I'll do something for you in a second. But if you're married, will you do me, and you came to church today with your spouse, would you do me a favor, would you look at them and would, just give them a heartfelt, 
ว้าวว้าวว้าวเบบี้ว้าวว้าวแล้วเมื่อพูดกับเด็กหรือใครที่มีลูกทุกคนมีลูกทุกคนแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุณแม้แต่ถ้าคุณไม่รู้ก็ได้แต่ไม่ได้รับคุ
that might be awkward check that it will be awkward but it's so important there's a movie coming out pretty soon I might have just come out called um, a beautiful day in the neighborhood and it's about this guy named mr. Rogers now there used to be a time where you could say that name and everybody knew it. we got a lot a whole nother generation here so let me just tell you really quickly mr. Rogers was a guy who had a TV show and uh, this show was a wonderful show. It was all about morals and ethics and decisions and facing problems. He was a minister. He actually was born and raised in Winter Park. Did you know that? This is his stomping grounds. Like Winter Park is his hood. Winter Park is Mr. Rogers' hood. He graduated from Rollins College. He's a minister. And uh, in the movie, he does this one scene and it's based on a speech he gave at the commencement address for Dartmouth College in 2002. He died in the following year, 2003. He said this at the commencement speech. He said, I'd like to give you all an invisible gift, a gift of a silent minute to think about those who have helped you become who you are today. Some of them may be here right now. Some may be far away. Some, like my astronomy professor, may even be in heaven. But wherever they are, if they loved you, if they encouraged you, if they wanted what was best in life for you, they're right inside yourself. And I feel you deserve quiet time on this special occasion to devote some thought to them. So let's just take a minute in honor of those who have cared about us all along the way. One silent minute. And I wanna do that right now. I did that when I saw it happening and I, it impacted me and I hope it impacted you too. So in a second, the band will stop playing and I'm gonna set a one minute timer on my phone and we're gonna have a one minute of silence. This will be the last thing we do. And in this minute of silence, I want you to think about everyone who loved you into being. Everyone who helped you get where you are today. Are you ready? a minute wow. wow right and the way you feel right now here's the here's the here's the power I didn't give you something I just reminded you of what you already have that's the power of gratitude that being said what you like if you could stand at your feet today This won't be a moment of silence, but it will be a moment of worship. I talked about all the people who helped you become 
who you became, who you are today. Let me get your attention one last time and we'll wrap it up. Listen, now I want you to think about this as we worship. Remember I talked about all those moments in life where you could have been dead, all those moments where you could have made a left and somehow you straightened out. Can I tell you who was behind that? You didn't know him as such then, but I'm telling you now, every bullet that missed, every car accident five minutes ahead of you, every boyfriend or girlfriend that could have ripped your heart, every ex-husband or ex-wife that could have absolutely wrecked your heart to the bone, but somehow you made it through, that was God who got you through. And so now with a grateful heart, we're gonna reflect. When I think about the Lord, how He saved me, how He raised me, how He filled me with the Holy Ghost, how He healed me to the uttermost. When I think about the Lord, how He picked me up and turned me around, how He placed my feet on solid ground. Oh, that's where you are today. Come on, when I think. We hope you've enjoyed this message, and we would love to hear your story and how this ministry is changing your life. Please email us at amen at journeyorl.com. And if you would like to support financially, you can give online at journeyorl.com give. If you're in the area, join us on Sunday for the full experience. Have a blessed week.